right, come on, let's give God some praise. Come on, I know it's early. It's good to worship the Lord. God says, praise me. If we don't praise them, the rocks will cry out, right? So glad that you're here. I hope that you're on the edge of your spiritual seat. God, what do you have for us today? What do you want to teach me, God? Where do you want me to walk? How do you want to change me, Lord? I I hope and pray that just our hearts are in the right place for God's word and hearing God. Amen? I just want to welcome you, if this is your first time with us, just want to say once again how just blessed we are to have you, really want you to feel a part of our family, and I just want to say out of the get-go that um, our youth pastor just gave a moment uh, previous to uh, the service beginning about a very important event happening with our young people, and that's summer camp. It's an entire week where students get to get kind of just away from social media, away from city, away from all the stuff of the world, and they get to completely focus in on their relationship with God. Most students find Jesus Christ as their personal savior at camp. Is that true? And so we just want to continue to pray for our young people and just support them. And this is a huge deal. I I truly believe, you know, the Bible's true. Amen? And so the Bible says we are a family. And so as a family, I wanted to just take a quick moment here before we get into the message that God has put on my heart out of Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 8. We're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, We have uh, someone uh, on our ministry team that's making a move. 22 years ago, um, there was a person who uh, began to work here as an employer, uh, employee, and that's Mary Okita. These, of course, are her grandkids. Mary actually started working. We had, for those of you who may not know, we have an elementary and junior high school as a part of our ministry here, the second campus right over the hill with over 500 students. Well, at the time, we have uh, our campus here. And so Mary began to work um, in the school, our elementary and junior high school. And then after a couple of years after that, moved over to the church side, working as administrative staff, communication. And probably the, the biggest aspect of her um, gifting and talent is creative arts. And so um, she has decided to step down from her position after 22 years of serving with us and being with us. I will say this, that um, her and her husband, Richard, are going to continue to be here, and they've been serving our Young at Heart ministry, which has been a gathering that's been on Thursday mornings. That's our 55 and older. We call them our senior saints. And so um, they're going to continue to serve and help uh, that ministry, and so we're grateful for that. I just wanted to give you a couple of highlights about um, what Mary has done over the years that have absolutely blessed this ministry. Um, During um, Easter week and Good Friday, um, it's always been on my heart to just capture that moment, of course, of the resurrection. But of course, when Jesus went to the cross, that was a huge event that saved our life. And so um, I had gotten together with Mary, we were kind of planning a Good Friday service. And and so um, I say, Mary, it'd be kind of cool, like, you know, the movie, The Passion, you know, Mill Gibson's movie. It'd be cool to have kind of like a set, like a stage, where you have kind of like um, the Garden of Gethsemane. So um, Mary goes to work where her creative, you know, mind is just flowing. And so she brings back about a week later these olive trees that we're able to put here in the, in the, the, the worship center as kind of a, a makeshift, you know, Gethsemane, Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I looked at them and I said, 
well, this is great. I mean, this, this is going to be awesome. But the leaves are a little sparse on that. So the next day she came back with a huge box of leaves and she's taping leaves all over this tree to make it just look awesome. And, and this, that's, this characterizes how Mary does things. With excellence and creativity, she can change an atmosphere for us so that we can experience God. Most of us remember 9-11. And it was really, it was on my heart a few years later after that tragedy happened to remember so many lives that were lost, but also the rem- the, to remember the lives that were left behind here. So many that were grieving. So we had a certain service, those of you that might have been here, a 9-11 service, but it wasn't just a service here that took place uh, to remember those lives and pray for them, but the entire campus, Mary transformed to a 9-11 stations of the 9-11 area where we got to physically got to go and walk to those stations and pray over those families. I will never forget um, one day we had walked out to the parking lot, Uh, Mary and I were walking out to her car. And um, I saw Richard Okita, her husband, out in the middle of the parking lot, out in the corner. Nobody else was there, sweeping our parking lot up to make it look really nice. And I guess, you know, that just characterizes the Okita family. And I just wanted to say, on behalf of all of our family here, thank you, Mary, for all that you have done here at MVCC. I have to tell uh, just one more thing. Mary's going to kill me for this, but so be it. Um, about six years ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was just devastated our family. And walking through that together, I will say walking through that with you, our church family, helped us to get through that. But it was one Sunday morning, and I'll be honest with you, there were a few Sundays where I just didn't want to preach, didn't want to get in the pulpit. It was, just, it was just hard. I walked around the corner here, and I saw Mary had these tables set up with these pink, pink bracelets that said, pray for Laura. I walked around that corner and I just, God, I, I can't say thank you enough for how you helped us to get through that, Mary. But unbeknownst to me that there was some difficult days of finances, of you know, out-of-pocket expenses to pay for surgery and all that. And there were just folks that stepped up and just said, hey, we just want to help you. And, and, and I just wanted to say, Mary, thank you, because I know God used you to help us, and I hope that, you know, we've also been a blessing to your life. So um, thank you once again, Mary. We love you. And Richard Okita. We have some folks that have been a part of MVCC the last um, four months that have, I will just characterize two things, um, boldness and courage. And why I say that is um, when we get caught in addiction, and I use that word we, okay? There's no us and them in this church. We all have things that we struggle with, amen? That's just part of who we are, real love on mission. And there are some folks that have stepped it up in a a, a sense of, I need to get some help. And so there are recovery homes here in our city of Mission Viejo that I was not aware of until I met a friend of mine named Dave who works for a organization and a ministry that helps those folks to get into recovery and out of recovery and then back into normal life. But part of the component of recovery is acknowledging we need God. 
And so God has provided a bridge and inroad into some of these recovery homes for these folks that are walking through addiction and they're walking through the recovery. And Jesus Christ is a component of that. That relationship is huge. And so God has really just given us, uh, by his grace and mercy, um, an opportunity to go in and do some Bible studies with some folks and just share with them the love of Jesus Christ and that they can have God personally. And the reason I mention that, I just want to say thank you to our church who, has embraced, who have embraced these young men and women. Uh, most of them are in kind of young adult age. And, and one of the things that characterize um, MVCC is they say to me, and they'll say to Dave, um, we just love this place because everybody's so loving to us. They don't ask questions, we're not judged, we feel like we're a part of the family, and so some of those folks are going to get baptized today, right after second hour, and I just want to ask you to pray for them. And it's just, you know, it's real life change, and there's nothing better than seeing life change or transformation, man. I just, I just, I just love, I never get tired of the stories of life change and people coming to Jesus Christ and seeing real discipleship happen. Some of those folks who are staying within the area have made um, MVCC their home. And so I just want to say, you know, thank you to all of you who have just loved these folks and helped them to feel a part of our family. And we're just grateful for what God is doing. Now, the text today is Luke chapter 8. We're going to get into it. Unbelievable power that God has. Amen? Now, I have a question for you. Do you believe, do you believe here? I just want you to just introspectively look inside of your own. Do you believe that God can step into any situation in your life that absolutely seems impossible? Do you believe that he has the power to change that situation? Do you believe that he has the power to change you? Because oftentimes God may not change a situation the way we want it, but God, I know that you can change me. And if you change me, I may see a perspective with a completely different set of eyes, God, from your eyes, from your perspective, and that can change the situation. I want you to just join with me and believe in a God that can. He has the power to change anything. He has the power to change anyone. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, the account of Jesus' life. I don't really like to call them stories. Stories kind of give me the inflection that it's just kind of a myth or made-up story. These are real-life accounts that we have the opportunity, because we have a Bible, to open up and say, this is where Jesus walked. That this is where Jesus fed the 5,000. That this is where Jesus healed the leper. He touched those that were blind. He opened blinded eyes. Jesus did incredible miracles. He had the power to forgive somebody who the world would never give a second look to. And we get to walk into those situations and we're gonna find ourselves here in an incredible place of unbelievable power. Now, Jesus has power. God has all the authority and power. He has power. We've been looking through this gospel. He has power over nature. Jesus has the power over the animal kingdom. Jesus has power over disease, death, and yes, even the demonic world, the underworld, this darkness, this, this flow of the unseen world that the Bible talks about. It is real. And this account that I'm going to read here in just a second almost seems kind of beyond reach. When we read this, you're probably going to think this sounds like a horror flick. This sounds like some kind of hor horrific movie that maybe Steven, Steven Spielberg would, would put together. But I want you to come with me today before we read the text into a place called the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes was a 10-city region off the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was on the southeast side. In fact, commentators will shorten it by using the Greek word grasa. Everybody come on, say that with me, grasa. 
Yeah, it sounds like Jurassic Park. I mean, really, I think that's where we're going today is the Jurassic Park of, of the demonic world. And we're going to see the incredible power of Jesus Christ confronting the enemy. This man that we're going to encounter here today was uh, deemed as the demoniac. He was absolutely tormented. I want you to just come across the lake with me with the 12 disciples, the 12 friends of Jesus. There's a mist over the waters. It's early dawn. The sun is just coming up. And there's something that's happening that there's a sense of evil on the other side. So let's go to this text now. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. We'll read this together. So they... Obviously, the Jesus and the 12 friends of Jesus in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. And for a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. And as soon as he saw Jesus... He shrieked, fell down in front of him, and then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. And this spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. I want to just stop here for a second and set the stage for us. There are five mirrors here. If you want to take some notes or just make a mental note, there are five mirrors that I really want us to take a look at ourselves and the situation. That I know this thing seems crazy. I know it seems like some makeshift, you know, B movie, but it's not. It's a real account. This really happened. Do you have a situation that's impossible? There are some matters, number two, that we cannot handle. Would you agree with that? There are some things that are completely out of our realm. Number three is, we know there's a master who can handle it. Amen? And the next one is, there are those who will be displeased, which we'll look at in a second. And there is a mission for those who are helped. This man is absolute torment. He's mutilating himself. This is also mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and in the Gospel of Luke, as we just read. They could not subdue this man. He was crying out day and night. He was under siege, literally living in the cemetery. There's nothing that anyone could do. I just want you to see, first of all, this absolutely helpless situation that no one could do anything here. So who is behind all this? Who is this leader of the legion? And what does legion really mean? There are 10 facts of the enemy that I want us to grab onto biblically because I think it's important if we, those in this room that are Christ followers, it's important that we know who the enemy is. We have an enemy and it's not you. It's not me. The enemy is out there. We got to know him. We got to know his schemes. We got to know what he says. We got to know what he does. We got to know how he works in truth or or, or lies against the truth. And so it's good that we have a perspective of who he really is. So I want to go back to the Bible and just go through 10 things for you of of this enemy that is behind this incredibly horrific, um, impossible situation. Well, we know, first of all, his name is Lucifer. He is an angel created by God. He is not 
equal with God. He is an angel who was created by God, we find in Ezekiel 28. Number two is Lucifer means actually light bearer. There are places in the Bible that calls him, he masquerades as an angel of light. He will give nine truths and he will slip in one lie and he will try to get us to fall into his trap. Number three is he observed God in Isaiah 14 and said, I want to be like that. And so there are five I wills. Check these out that he said in the book of Isaiah. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit above the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like, this is the clincher, I will be like the most high God. Talk about pride, talk about arrogance, talking about jealousy. That's exactly where he was. Number four is this. One third of the angels approximately were deceived by Satan. That comes from Revelation chapter 12. Can you think about this for a second? Well, the devil's not that big a deal. I don't really need to be too concerned about him. And, and there's some truth to that. But this, I think sometimes we push him off to the side and we pretend he's not really there. If he could deceive one third of the angels who were in the presence of God, who were worshiping God for eternity, in the very presence of God's throne, if he could deceive them to leave God and follow him, I need not to take his schemes lightly, Right? Okay, God, God, number five, God cast out Satan from heaven. That comes from Luke chapter 10. Let's continue on here quickly through this. Satan is not equal to God. Aside from many myths and, and untruths about the Bible, there's not two gods in heaven who are warring it out, and we hope God wins. God's already won. Number seven is this. Satan is not omnipresent. means he cannot be in 10 million different places at one time. He's not that powerful. He doesn't have that much authority. Satan is not in authority. He's still under the rule of God. And number nine is if you have received Jesus Christ, you cannot, I want you to get this one, you cannot be possessed by the enemy. That's Romans chapter eight. There are other scriptures about this, but this is super important that we understand that if you are a Christ follower, you have received Christ as your savior. You are saved by grace through faith. The enemy cannot possess your life. And number 10, Satan will be, this is a good one. Satan will be confined to the abyss, place of outer darkness for eternity during the millennium. And that comes from Revelation chapter 20. So I just want you to get an overview biblically. He's not some, you know, red character with a pitchfork and, you know, down in the fire. We're going to party in hell. It's not going to be like that. Hell was created for him. It was for the judgment of one third of the angels and for the enemy to spend eternity there. So we got that straight, right? Now, let's talk about the better news. And that is, let's take a look at 10 different aspects of who this man, Jesus, really is. So if you have your Bibles or you just want to take some notes, hopefully this will be some helpful help of what God taught us this morning. Number one, Jesus Christ, who is he? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation chapter nine. Number two is he is the son of God, John chapter five. He is God in flesh. That's John chapter one, verses one to four, and then verse 14. Number four is this. He has ultimate authority. My voice, I'm getting a little more excited here. I'm getting a little more happy because the more we talk about Jesus, right, we're, we're all on the same team here. And I want to put my trust, my hope in the one who has all the power, all the authority. Let's go on to number five. He created everything. He created you. 
He created everything that we know. Interesting, did you hear on the news this week that they found a black hole in the middle of the Milky Way? Did you see that? Huge discovery by scientists. Well, of course, for those who are believers, we know. We know who God, God created all this. And we know that it goes on for infinity, all the things that God created. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, John chapter 1. Jesus physically died on a cross, Romans 6. He was resurrected from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He will return again to earth. This is not our home. This is not our resting place. We have a place, a citizenship in heaven that Jesus has already prepared for us if we are Christ followers. And number 10 is he is eternal. God goes on forever. There will never be an end to Jesus Christ and who he is. Now I thought I'd just give you a little bit of a description through the alphabet. Is Jesus is just too wonderful for words. He's unfathomable. He's, he's precious beyond telling. How can you talk about Jesus with just the English language that we have? But at least I wanted to go through the alphabet of who he is. Because he's so wonderful, because he is unbelievably powerful, I want you to get a sense of how awesome God is. Because today I believe whatever you're facing or whatever you're going to face, I want you to have Jesus Christ inside of your heart knowing that God can get you through and God can deliver us from anything that the enemy throws us under. Here's number one, letter A, Alpha, Omega, Ancient days, amen, our anchor. B, bread of life, beginning and end, bright and morning star. C, captain of the cornerstone. D, day star from on high, God's front door deliverer. E, everlasting father, eternal life and El Shaddai. F, fountain of life, first and last, foundation of our faith. G, glory of his people Israel, the good shepherd, the gate. H, head of all things, healing balm of Gilead, the high priest. I, intercessor, Emmanuel, God with us. J, judge of all earth. Jesus, our Savior, Jehovah, God. K, King of Kings and Kinsman Redeemer. L, Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lily of the Valley, Light of the World. M, Mediator, Manna, Mighty God, Melchizedek of the New Testament and Messiah. N, Nazarene, and name above all names. O, Omega, Offspring of David and Overcomer. P, Promise, promise of God, Prince of Peace, our Passover Lamb. Q, Quail from Heaven, and I added this one, quite a guy. R, Redeemer, Rock, Root of Jesse, Rose of Sharon, Resurrection, S, Son of God, Sword, Shield of Sacrifice for Sin, T, Tree of Life, Teacher, Tabernacle of Truth, U, Undefiled, Unlimited Atonement, V, Vine, Veil Ripped from Top to Bottom when He Died, W, Water of Life, The Way, Word Made Flesh, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, X, X-ray vision to see right through Pastor Mike into my heart. And Z, Zerubbabel, the New Testament of glory, the Mount Zion. He is awesome. It's Jesus. And he is the one. He's the one that sails across. He's the one that sailed across the Sea of Galilee to get one guy. I don't want anyone in here to dismiss the fact that God won't go for miles. He'll go for eternity to get to your heart. He knows the situation. He knows what you're going through. He knows the pain in your heart. He knows how much you want the circumstance to change. And I want to encourage you today. He is with you. He will go from eternity from first to last to get to you. Jesus demanded verse 30. What is your name. Now, he did not say that because Jesus did not know. Jesus knows everything. He is 
omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is all-knowing, right? But he said that because remember, we've got disciples who are learning. I need you to see what's going to happen because I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you power to exercise demons. I'm going to give you authority to have word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, to bring healing to somebody through prayer. I'm going to give you spiritual eyes to see the world the way I see it. I need you to watch me and learn. So the disciples are now getting off the boat. Remember the mist over the water. The darkness is looming. There's this sun that's just rising above the horizon and he says what is your name legion let's read this now verse 30 he replied for he was filled with many demons the demons kept begging jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit and there happened to be a large herd of pigs on the hillside nearby and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw this, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed to see what had happened. You think? A crowd gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, watch this, fully clothed, some of your Bible verses might say, and in his right mind, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told others about the demon-possessed man that had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away, the saddest person in all the Bible, leave our place. Leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home again saying, no, go back, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And so he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everybody said to the reading of God's word, amen. This demon runs to the feet of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? As the first thing he cries out to Jesus is, please don't torture me. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. If we were to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it gives a wonderful description, a full range description of what happens. Now, legion is really a translation for two to 6,000. We don't know if it's exactly that many demons, but it's definitely more than one that's racked this man and got him in a chokehold. Jesus gives the permission. Isn't it interesting that they understand that demons believe and they understand Jesus' authority? That's why they're asking, could you send us into the pigs? We want to stay in this territory. That's really what they're asking Jesus. I just want you to just know, pit stop here for a second. Nothing happens to you without God's permission. God knows everything. It's okay. I know what you're walking through is really hard. Some of us are walking through something. I know it's difficult. And you're, where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Where's the victory? Where's the promise? When, God, are you going to deliver us from this thing? And I want to say that God cares, God knows, and he certainly can. And he can give permission to the enemy to try to distract you. You cannot give the enemy a foothold. You cannot go into a place 
of, of letting the enemy get that foothold. If, if I was to walk out those back doors and stick my foot right in between where that door opens, you could slam that door right against my foot and it'd be no big deal. I could hold that door open. And that's exactly what the enemy has done with this man. We don't know his background. We don't even know his name. We don't know what activity he was involved in. But for some reason, there was a foothold of the enemy of darkness where demons latched onto this guy and possessed him. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with you and me. He wants to get a foothold in the door of our life. And once he gets a foothold, he's happy. This is where I can be. And the only way out of it is Jesus's power. That's the only way out of it. They tried hand and foot to, to, to release this guy. They, they tried to bring in law enforcement, politicians. They tried to bring some incantations, some voodoo stuff, some psychedelic psychics and brought everything into this guy to try and heal him, but nothing worked. Only Jesus Christ can do it. I need us to see today that Jesus is the only one that can break the chains in our life. He's the only one that can break addiction. He's the only one that can break that stuff that we get stuck to. You're in a difficult situation. I've been in difficult situations. Think about this for a second. The people in the town are watching all this. In Matthew, it says the entire city came out to see Jesus. The city came out to see Jesus. The city, the city, the city, the city. Wouldn't it be great if our entire city came out to see Jesus Christ, right? And the saddest verse in all of this text, my heart weeps over this, that they asked Jesus to leave their region. Why? Why would they do that when this man obviously was the talk of the town? He lived in the cemetery, ripping his clothes off, cutting himself with stones, cussing at the top of his voice, couldn't get any peace. The only place they could chain him hand and foot was a place of death. Think about that. He's living in the cemetery. At night, he would cry out like some kind of animal, like werewolf. Why would they ask Jesus to leave when he just healed the guy? It's all about the almighty dollar, isn't it? Because as soon as those pigs, that herd of, those herd of pigs ran off the cliff, all their money was gone. And now they're ticked. The herdsmen went back to the city and started spreading lies and rumors. Be careful. Just please be careful when you hear, did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what they did? Can you believe that? Be very careful because that's exactly what was happening to Jesus. Exactly what was happening. And they come back in full force and they've got reinforcements, baby. They've got probably hundreds of people that have come from these 10 regions, these little cities and say, Jesus, we want you to leave. Leave our region. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm asking myself, I got a lot of questions in this text. First of all, this is real life stuff. Amen? We got that clear. This is not some made up story. It's not some Spielberg movie. This is real stuff. So the question I have is, how come we're not seeing like demon possession today? How come we're not seeing it like this? Do you remember a place in Acts when there was a woman who was telling the future? Do you remember that? And in the book of Acts, this woman was following the apostle Paul and the apostles and had brought so much distraction to the simple message of the gospel that Paul turns around and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. Right? There have been places in our world today. There are places in our world today where the demonic forces can possess and run havoc and they're more active if we say the reason that they're so active here in the Gospels is because, remember, the very presence of Jesus was on earth. That, that's why they, they start coming out and they start acting a fool because Jesus' presence is there and they are afraid. In James it says the demons believe and shudder. 
They don't have saving faith. They believe and they know who their maker is. And so in that text, in that context, remember that that there can be people that can be possessed, that can be walking around. Now, I don't want to just all of a sudden, you know, my son is demon-possessed. My daughter, my great aunt, you know, Bob, Uncle Bob, Uncle Crazy Bob, you know, he's demon-possessed. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the enemy wants one thing, and that's to keep you away from God. In a culture where they do not have a lot of the quick entertainment that we have, all of the electronics, all of the possessions, all the money. We can basically get anything we want at any time, right? Order from Amazon. You can get it the next day. In parts of the world where they don't have that, the enemy is going to use different tactics. Remember First Peter. He's a schemer. He has schemes. And he's going to try and do everything he can to get people away from God. And if possession will do it in somebody's life, he can certainly enter into a non-believer. Now remember, there's doorways. I want you to imagine with me a hallway. Now in this long hallway we're walking down. At the end of the hallway, there's a door, and that door is heaven. And along this life, however many years we're here on earth, there are other doors alongside of that hallway. And if we decide to open that door of the occult, Ouija boards, tarot cards, seances, contacting the dead, all kinds of uh, Satanism, all kinds of things that we get involved in, the enemy just goes, I got my foothold. See? And the only way we can get out of it is calling upon Jesus and giving up the behavior, giving up the stuff that he's got a foothold into. Now, for us here in Western culture in Orange County, there's probably not a whole lot of demon-possessed people in here. But there are certainly a lot of demonic activity going on to distract us from God, right? Oh, we can't, we can't, we can't think about spiritual things. We got, you know, we got, we got vacation homes we got to take care of. We just bought the boat. We got, oh, it's a wonderful day. Let's go down to the beach. Disneyland, free tickets, we're going. And all of a sudden we start drifting away from things that are eternal and things that are spiritual and it no longer, I'm not saying that the demonic is behind all that stuff, but I am saying this, he is an angel of light and he will make something look so good and we take it for the asking and all of a sudden we find ourselves in this terrible foothold. So whatever context of this world we find ourselves in, I don't want us to be a blind eye to the fact that there is a real enemy after your soul. He wants to tear apart your marriage. He wants to tear apart your family. He wants to get your kids as far away from God. And you've just got to take authority and say, in the name of Jesus, you're not doing it. Oh, I forgot to mention the previous text in 22 to 25 that Jesus got in the boat with the disciples. You remember this in verse 22? I forgot to read this. One day Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a wrap. Nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went out and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, you're going to drown. We're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where's your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this guy? Right? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Your deliverance means you may need to go through a storm. Jesus went through the storm first. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. You may have to go through rehab because of the addiction. That doesn't mean God has left you. It doesn't mean you're following man's ways. It just means that God may want you to reach someone in the rehab. 
You may learn something in the rehab that's going to take you into your relationship and, and catapult you in a whole new dimension. You may have to, guys, you may have to go to marriage counseling. Well, I just want you to fix the marriage. Can't you just do, you know, abracadabra, God, just fix it. Just fix my wife. Boom. If she just was fixed. No, God may want me to look at myself, Pastor Mike. Humble myself. See, I may have to go through some storm. I may have to go through some stuff unearthing my life and what's really going down on the engine room to get to the core issue of where are the footholds that I've allowed the enemy to get a hold of that's wrecking my life. Sell everything because we don't want to lose the business. But I don't want to sell everything. I like the things I have. We may have to do some things, go through a storm to get to the deliverance. You might have to make a decision, a tough decision of a family member to take them off life support. These these types of decisions are not easy. There may be a storm before we get to the deliverance. You may have to say to a child, you can't live here anymore. If you're going to continue to live in that behavior, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, your standards in your home, and they continue to defy you and disrespect your authority, you may have to pull the tough love card, which is very loving. And I know I can't even imagine having to do that and how difficult that is. But you may have to go through a storm to get to the deliverance. Your son or your daughter or your grandchild, the only way they're going to make it and find Jesus is they may have to go through the storm to experience the power of God. I know that's hard. Some of you right now are having to say yes to the chemo treatments. And it'd just be better just to check out because I know the side effects and I don't want to go through it. Or some of us might be looking at letting go of a friendship that you've had for years. Well, I don't want to lose that friend. Are we tracking with this? There's no easy street here. There's no quick fix. There's no quick deliverance. Well, I'll just go to a counseling session and just all be better. Sweet tart Jesus cannot help this man. We need a militant Jesus. I need someone that I can get behind. Jesus Christ is the only one that I found. I've never seen anybody who compares to Jesus that I can get behind and say, I'm following him. Because he looked at that demon. He knew exactly who they were. He called him out by name. And he said, you're coming out of there. And delivered this man. We need this back in the church today. We need this back in our life to see with spiritual eyes of what's really going on. Can you imagine this man's life clothed and in his right mind? How much appreciation, how much thankfulness was inside of this guy's life? I can't can't even begin to imagine. Only this, that the text tells us. Did you see the scene? This is the most important one. That Jesus is leaving with the disciples back to the other side of Galilee. He leans over the bow of the boat with his hand and says, Jesus, I want to go with you. You saved me. Can I follow you? I want to be one of those guys. Jesus says, no. You have to go back and tell your family, watch this, everything God has done for you. If, if, if we could just climb into this text, if we could say, God, what do you have for me today? Maybe it's just one thing. I mean, there's like 18,000 things in this text, but the one that I just, man, this is what, God, who have you put in my life? Not to give five points of the gospel, not to try and get God in there in some slick way, not to just see somebody as a project, but to love people and simply tell them the story. What has God done for you? People are looking for answers. People are looking for help. Would we agree? 
They're looking for something in South County and the, the, the cars and the houses and there's nothing wrong with having all that stuff. But the chase after all those things, it's not going to bring it. Go back and tell them everything. I want you to think about that right now. What has God done for you? Some of you right now I know have walked through a storm of losing a spouse. I can't imagine what that feels like. We got one guy in our, our men's group on Saturday morning just lost his, his wife three and a half months ago. Can't imagine what he's walking through. And, and, and when I look into his eyes, I see there must be pain and heartache. But I know he knows Jesus and Jesus is getting him through it. Does Jesus take all the problems away? No, but he gets us through it to the other side, man. So we walk away with this. I hope this is some helpful help for you. Don't always look to man's wisdom to solve problems. Don't look to man's wisdom to solve your problems. And I'm preaching right here, baby, because it's so easy for me to go down to CVS and pick up some aspirin or pick up some indigestion medicine or whatever. It's so easy to get whatever we need and step back and say, God, lead me here. And God even if you don't change the situation, change me. Change me. That's, that's the power of God. That's the power of Holy Spirit. Second is this. I want you to just fill in the blank here. Just give Jesus your whatever it is. If it's your bank account, if it's your children, if, if it's your heart, God, take my mind. God, take my marriage. I'm giving you my, for the first time in my life, I'm giving you my marriage. See? Well, whatever, the, I wanted to be very open about this because I know the Holy Spirit can work differently in every single one of us here. The main thing here is giving it to Jesus. This man was willing. He ran to the feet of Jesus. He was still somewhat coherent, even though he was racked with demons. He knew Jesus, Jesus was the only one, man, that could fix him. Jesus was the only one that could infuse his whole heavenly power into this man and save him. I, I, I guess it's, I, I don't want us to have a sweet, tart little Jesus. We just kind of keep Jesus in the corner, got him in my back pocket, do the God thing, come to church once in a while, throw a few bucks in the offering plate. There's so much more that Jesus wants to do in your life. I think what the enemy does is he gets us to think that Jesus is the one who steals, kills, and destroys our life. And if we get too much into Jesus, he's going to take things away from us. Much to the contrary, man. It's the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants to put so much good into your life. And number three is this, the last one. Take the offense against what the enemy is doing. I, I, I know this sounds like Twilight Zone stuff. I, I know that. But what I'm saying is this. You get down and you begin to pray on whatever situation you're looking at. There were women that followed Jesus, and I believe that they were praying for him, taking care of his needs. Nobody even knew they were taking care. Their places in heaven will be so much better than some of the others because they were in the background doing what Jesus called them to do. And I believe when they saw Jesus pray, they knew, oh my God, I have seen a God who can pray, and I want to pray like that. And they prayed for Jesus. There was spiritual power. And I believe he was going across this, this, this storm. And when he got to the other side, they heard the cries. They saw the man in all of its darkness and impossible situation. 
We come against you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm asking us to get a vial of, of oil and go to the four corners of our property. If you live in an apartment, you go to the four corners. If you live in a house or condo, wherever, and I'm just in the, in the, in the middle of the night, so nobody's going to think you're doing anything really weird. You just take that and you just place a, a little bit of oil on the four corners and you pray over that house. Satan, you will not get a foothold in this family. You will not get a foothold in my life. You will not get my kids. I'm, I'm saying that, that we ought to be more militant. Take the offense. Jesus already won. How many times are we trying to walk to victory when we should be walking from the victory? He won the victory at the cross without Jesus Christ. And these guys hadn't even seen the cross yet. And they're asking, who is this man? We get to look back in history. We know Jesus, res- he died and he resurrected. He is the victor. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. We already know he won the war. We just need to step into it. Can I just close with this? One of the silliest things to me I have ever seen on television is WWF. (laughs) It's just silly. I mean, it's just, I'm going to get you. I'm coming for you. You better not come into this house. It's just stupid stuff. And they got all these weird costumes on, right? What I do know about it is this. They rehearse the whole thing before it happens. And they already know who's going to win. I guess a little bit of that isn't so crazy for me to take into my walk with Jesus. I already know. And this crazy life and the enemy's throwing stuff at me, man, I know who's already won the battle. I just got to step into it. And that's what's so beautiful about family. That's what's so beautiful about church is that we have brothers and sisters that help us to get in to what we need to get into because it's there that we experience the power of God. Can you see the man reaching out his hand? over the boat, trying to touch Jesus' hand. Jesus, it is a great thing, isn't it? God, we thank you for allowing us to peer in to this account. And Jesus, it sounds like, wow. I've never seen anything like that, God. But I trust because it's written in your word that it's real and you did it. And if you could do that, God, and I know what I'm looking at and facing in my life, God, right now, we collectively here at MBCC, we humble ourselves before you, God, to say, God, you did it then, you can do it now. And I need you desperately in this. I got no place else to go. I remember Jesus, what Peter said. When all the crowd, the crowds left you after you preached this incredible sermon on the mount, you fed 20,000 people and they all left. And you turned to Peter and the apostles and said, what are you guys going to do? Jesus, I just want to say here on behalf of our MVCC family, I love what Peter said. (laughs) We got no place else to go. We haven't found anything better than you, Jesus. And so, God, we apply ourselves into this. Holy Spirit, speak to us. If there's anybody here today, God, that maybe, maybe just feels far away, oh, God, we know you're just a prayer way. And I pray you speak to that heart today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, every time we get to take communion here, and we just give a few moments for what the Bible calls 
the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. I really don't want you to, first of all, feel like you have to do this. And secondly, I don't want you to feel like it's just kind of a religious thing we just kind of do. Down the juice and take the wafer. I really want to ask you to think about this visual. The man reaching out. Your life, you're standing on the edge of the shore and you're reaching out for Jesus. Just thinking, it is a great thing. You died for us, Jesus. You came back to life. And right now, we just want to say thank you. God, meet us, even in the quietness of this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.